That Thessalonian you're fighting. He's the biggest man I've ever seen. I wouldn't want to fight him. That's why no one will remember your name. All right, folks, let's have at it. We have two seminars left this year, October 14th through the 16th, then December 9th through the 11th. First seminar on the list for 2023 is February 17th to the 19th. And one brief announcement about that, after this year, the price of the seminars will be going up. So if you're on the fence and want to spend a few extra bucks and come in 2023, if you want to save a few extra bucks, then come in October or December. For camps on the list, we've just added a new self-sufficient lifter camp. That's November 19th in Wichita Falls, covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift. And we're also having our second ever lift, shoot, fight camp. That is a two-day camp, December 17th to the 18th in Wichita Falls, and it's covering, yep, you guessed it, lifting, shooting, and fighting. For squat and deadlift camps on the list that still have spots available, October 22nd in Long Island, New York has a few spots available. And we've just added Chicago on December 11th. Come to Chicago for the lifting. Stay because you got murdered. And then for three lift camps with spots still left, we have September 24th in Orange County, California at the Strength Co. Then Sandy, Utah on October 8th. Baltimore and 5x3 on October 30th. And December 11th in London. Those are all squat, press, and deadlift camps. Do you have a question for Rip about coaching or becoming a coach? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But if you do... Why don't you shoot it to radio at startingstrength.com and see if it gets read on the air and maybe he'll give you some useful information. He might ridicule you a bit, but at the same time, you will get some value out of it. So, and for more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen. Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, We are, uh, as usual, on the cutting edge of everything that's worth being on the cutting edge of. And we have... uh, talked at length several times about testosterone replacement therapy and you know i'm i'm getting a little tired of a few of you people uh accusing me of trying to get everybody on anabolic steroids all right uh, let me just just right up front say look go get fucked all right that's not what we're doing here we're not doing that at all. There are therapeutic benefits to testosterone. And there are lots and lots of therapeutic benefits to testosterone. And lots of people that are not on it ought to be on it. And today we're going to talk to Trevor Ratchko. Trevor is a nurse practitioner, a psychiatric nurse practitioner specifically. And Trevor is uh, very familiar with the psychological aspects of testosterone replacement therapy. And I've mentioned this several times on this podcast. I've mentioned how important the psychiatric benefits of testosterone are and how the benefits manifest themselves in 72 hours. 
and it's just it's it's when you see this happen it's amazing it really is it's far far more amazing than the administration of any other psychoactive medication for the for benefiting depression especially in males but we're going to talk about all of this stuff today with trevor and uh trevor i appreciate your time today thanks for being with us on the podcast i'm i'm just glad to be here well uh, tell us um i mean i'm already on record with my uh, experience with this i've recommended that several of my friends get on it and it's it's like night and day within within 72 hours it's night and you know a guy comes in he's suicidal <laughs> just you know and i say look um this is my recommendation and talk him into getting some test you know you have to get enough you know you put 50 milligrams of test in anybody's ass whether it's your mom or anybody they're not going to notice it so you got to get enough in there and if you get enough in there 73 days later it's a different guy what's what's been your experience with this well i would absolutely say i i don't think i have seen a single instance where it hasn't been helpful but the main issue that we often run into is well there's i'd say there's probably two big bottlenecks first one finding a provider who's even willing to consider it yes let alone do it because they Let's have say, all these bizarre ideas about prostate cancer and heart disease and all this other bullshit that's just exactly not the case but they're exactly. firmly convinced that it is and you can't teach them anything right and then the next big one is let's say even find a provider who's willing to do it right the big problem there ends up being they underdose it yes. so extremely yes so so extremely so you're talking about like 50 milligrams at once and you know okay that's fine if you're doing that every day every other day Maybe that's going to be helpful early on, but no, we're talking like nah, maybe that every week. Yeah, I mean, I not... see a hundred. I see a standard from like primary care providers. It very often ends up being hundred milligrams once every two weeks. Well, that's not is, even. I mean, clinical exposure. Exactly. It's it's mm -hmm. you know. I mean, we know what a loading dose is. That's used several times throughout pharmacology, right? Let's say you exactly. you present with an upper chest and upper respiratory infection and they're going to put uh azithromycin in on top of this they start with a loading dose duh right duh exactly it makes perfect sense to do it there it makes perfect sense in lots and lots of other places and it makes perfect sense if you're low on testosterone the the, the first thing people don't seem to understand the 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 nature of steroid hormones there's first off is there even an ld50 a lethal dose that 50 percent of people will uh will experience with any kind of steroid hormone not that i've heard of i mean it just doesn't work that way yeah you know there's no there's no such thing as an overdose of testosterone it doesn't work that way. You could probably give them 10 cc's. You'd probably give somebody 20,000 milligrams of testosterone. I'm sure people have tried. I, I know people that have tried. 
I know people that have tried. I know people that have done a gram of testosterone a week for years. And they're still walking around and shit. So, uh, what is it these people are afraid of, Trevor? What's what's the deal? I think there's a lot of there are many different factors that are playing in here. Um, I, I think that one of the big things that anyone, regardless, so if you go to any provider for any purpose, whether you're trying to look at this, mental health, even primary care, I don't care what it is because we saw this with all the COVID stuff as well. A good question to ask yourself is when you're seeing that provider, try and think of how many different sets of eyes are looking over your provider's shoulder at that time. And if you can come up with more than more than maybe like the state board, whatever the licensing authority is there, you may want to go somewhere else. Because in my experience, the bigger operations, so the ones that are run by like large hospital corporations, anything like that, or even some of the bigger clinics, you start getting all this management in there, medical director, this, nosy coworkers who are going to start criticizing, anonymous reports here and there. They are all terrified of this. So I think there are actually a lot more providers out there who would love to be helpful, but they can't or they're afraid to because they're concerned about these consequences. Because when a, a board complaint is filed, you never find out for sure who that is. They keep these people anonymous, mm -hmm. where, especially in the workplace, because that's very important. But, and, uh, but yeah, a big part of it's probably also, it's not a lot of money in it, right? You know, in oh. these types of cases, I think labs might be happy about it, but yeah, there's no pharma reps going around with testosterone. And the only thing that I've seen like that is these new, uh, new modalities and ways of administering it where they take testosterone and put it in something like an insulin pen that you can adjust. So it's like, all right, great. That's probably what a hundred times the cost of a regular vial of testosterone. Right. Sipinate. So. Well, it's you know it's 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 fascinating to me that uh, that uh, probably the primary response you're going to get from uh, a GP, you know, the gatekeeper guy, who doesn't know anything whatsoever about this, and is just not interested in learning anything about it, is is you'll say. Uh, you go in, doctor. I think I'm hypogonad, and uh, thinking I'd like to try some testosterone. And they say, well, there's, you know, well, let's do, uh, let's do your blood. And uh, so he sends you over to Quest Diagnostics, and uh, reference range comes back. You know, whatever they're using now is, is like nine, ten down to what's the two twenty five. Is it something like that? It depends. Depends on the lab, I think. Uh, lab core is probably different than Quest, but but uh, it's below three hundred nanograms per deciliter. It's below three hundred, and it's you know the top of the reference range is now below a thousand, and uh, so you come back at three twenty five, and he says the following thing. He says, "Well, you're normal." So I can't prescribe anything. Not going to do it. You're normal. Now, how do you so thoroughly misunderstand 
the situation. How do you misunderstand what a reference range is? And how do you misunderstand the clinical effects of a steroid hormone? How do you misunderstand the adverse consequences of a steroid hormone? How do you so thoroughly misunderstand the whole situation and retain the ability to charge the man money for your fucking opinion? (laughs) I don't understand it. Exactly. And a big part there really just ends up being critical thinking is not something that is taught very much in any form of medical education, whether that's a medical school, an osteopath school, PA school, nursing school, nurse practitioner school. They don't really go too much into that. It seems like they want everything very by the book. And as you know, a lot of the stuff in the book is just wrong. Yes. Right. I mean, I I can think of plenty of things that were told to me in school that would be the right answer on every single test that I haven't seen work once. But are wrong. Utterly, absolutely. Flat out, flat out wrong. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Good example is uh, SSRIs for postpartum depression. I've never seen it work. Not once. Not once. That's a similar issue. That's more obviously for women. But look at the chart of hormones. Crashes. All the time. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what percentage of women who report symptoms of postpartum depression are are given an SSRI prescription. What percentage of them you think? That, I, probably more, I would guess. Wow. So, yeah, because well, and, and the whole point here, what it comes down to is medicine, so-called, trying to use psychiatric medication to treat what is objectively a hormonal endocrine problem. That's what it is. That's what postpartum depression is. That's what low testosterone is. That's what high estrogen is, right? Mm -hmm. So why are we throwing SSRIs, SNRIs, all these other things? Why are we throwing those at this problem? It just seems ridiculous to me. I don't do it. And I strongly discourage others from doing it. Well, that's that's an interesting question. So let's talk for a minute, and, and let's, let's talk in, in whatever detail you, you think is appropriate about what a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor actually does. Because I, a lot of people know that there is such a thing as Prozac. A lot of people know that there is such a thing as an SSRI. What are they? Where did they come from? Who makes them? And what do they actually do? Well, if you want the most honest answer that I can give you, it is that if you look up the mechanism of action of any of those medications, we don't know. It's theoretical. If you look up the actual reference material, the first word is usually theoretical, or it is widely accepted that you know <laughs> Prozac increases serotonin levels by binding selectively to a basically a certain amount of certain serotonin receptors, of which there are many in order to prevent the free-floating serotonin from being taken back up by the neurons out of circulation. So you're trying to increase the amount that is free-floating. All right. And tell us what serotonin is for those that don't know. Well, it's a, it's, it's a neurotransmitter, one of many uh, widely considered 
to be used in more of like a feel-good sensation, not quite like dopamine, which is more of on an extreme, like a euphoria, but just positive emotions, things like that. That's probably what we'd be, what would be more appropriate to mention right here. But right. yeah, it, like it's, it's... And I'll tell you what you... Here's a good, here's a good mm. way to visualize this. You know all the ads on TV for all of these SSRIs. And the woman has that vague smile on her face, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about because it happens every 10 minutes on every television station in the world. The woman with the thin sweater and the vague smile. You know, things are, things Sounds are like all right after all. You know, that's shit. That's serotonin, right? Essentially, yeah. And and something that I always like to point out when we're talking about mechanism of action of any psychiatric medication is that it remains theoretical. We don't know what it does. We can never be 100% sure because there is no way to observe. Let's keep using Prozac as an example. Prozac's effect on living brain cells. You can't do it. Everything has been done in vitro, this, right? Right. Yeah. You know, this isn't like we can get, you know, culture someone's strep throat, throw it on a Petri dish and dump amoxicillin on it, look through a microscope and watch the bacteria be completely eviscerated by the antibiotic that we can watch in real time. We know that works, but all these psychiatric medications, it's our best guess. And we're now finding out more yeah. and more that, you know, maybe maybe depression isn't caused by this. And I tend to think that depression causes any chemical imbalance that there might be, that things are the other way around. All right, so the manipulation of serotonin um, in these studies, since we can't directly observe uh, the, the effects at the cellular level, all of these things are essentially going to be self-reported, right? Mm. If, if you participate in a yes. study and you're participating in a study of a new SSRI, the data that we obtain from that study is going to be obtained from you telling us what you think you feel. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And there are some standardized measures for doing that. But, you know, if you get if you keep handing someone the exact same measure, so uh, the PHQ-9 for depression or the GAD-7 for anxiety, which those are both primary targets of things like Prozac, any of the SSRIs, typical antidepressants, things like that. If you hand someone the same test repeatedly, right, maybe at week intervals, maybe at month intervals, whatever it may be, and you have been putting a new variable, so you are altering Prozac, right? So you're putting that in, that is the, that's the variable that's being manipulated. You're undoubtedly gonna have that person get used to whatever measure right. you were testing with, right? right? They're gonna know those questions and they're gonna think, well, I've been taking this and that, and you know, maybe I am feeling better. And then there, it, things do get skewed. There are ways to account right. for that, but nothing that we can be super confident in i would right. say in other words you adapt yeah. to the intervention exactly yeah yeah and when you adapt to the intervention then that intervention is no longer measuring the same effect that it was before 
Right, right. And this is, you know, this is something with we deal with in exercise science, not exercise science, but in strength training all the time. You know, the, the effect of the stress is adaptation. If you stress the organism, we take advantage of that phenomenon by applying stress and then and then allowing the 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 lifter recover from the stress and now he's stronger now we apply another stress and we keep accumulating adaptation but a chemical intervention is going to do the same thing because stress is adapted to and anything that you're not accustomed to that's that's outside the level of homeostasis is going to cause an adaptation and that's Certainly. just the general that's just general that's biology just as simple as it can be and it's it's hard to test these things for that reason very difficult very difficult so especially the the bigger the change that is reported i'd say typically the more confident we can be in the actual cause and effect relationship being there but yeah, once especially with those measures like PHQ nine, CAD seven, a big change, like let's say in a month, like if we were testing at that kind of interval, we can be pretty confident that something happened there. But the smaller the change, that's when we kind of start thinking, like you know, even if it is a couple points better, is it really? Because there's variation in day to day life, right? Sure. Maybe I always the say guy that just didn't mad today for some reason. Exactly. Maybe nobody exactly. pissed him off on the way to the test today. You know? Yeah. Well, sleep issues are a big thing too. That largely gets ignored by a lot of providers and a lot of medicine. You guys have talked about like uh, sleep apnea and things like that. That's another big one that goes undiagnosed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if your sleep is lousy, everything else gets worse. You're not going to make right. as many gains in the gym. You're not going to get as get stronger at the rate that you could. You may even get weaker. You're not going to feel as good. It's crucial, right? So well, yeah. all right. So let's let's take a step back. What is meant by the term depression? Mm. When when I when I come to you and and you ask me questions and you apply questionnaires and you do first one thing then another and you know sure. stick your little stick in my throat and look at my tongue and all this other shit and you say eh, it appears to me as though you're depressed. What do you mean by that term depression? Well, it depends who you want to, who you would ask. If you ask a textbook, if you look at a reference manual, like something that I have on my bookshelf, it's going to say that depression is that chemical imbalance, right? So something being off with the neurotransmitters, yes, serotonin being low, sometimes it's norepinephrine or dopamine, but all of these things playing parts in that overall depressed condition. Right. So I would contend I don't think depression is a disease. It's being called a disease very often. It's a condition, but you can't just simply catch depression. Right. I just I, I explain to people that that state, that feeling low energy, feeling lousy, maybe your sleep's affected, concentration is wor worse, could be a million things. So many different ways that this could be uh, manifesting. But it truly is a negative maladaptive reaction to undesirable life circumstances right that's what it is which is and kind of normal how are you supposed to feel if your wife dies yeah exactly. how are you supposed to feel you're supposed to be happy 
You know, are you supposed to have the vague smile on your face like the woman in the commercial picking flowers out of her garden finally after having taken this miraculous drug? Even our husband's laying in the floor of the living room. Right? What, what is... Uh, <laughs> you and I both know people who have every reason to be sad. They have logical yeah. reasons to feel like shit, to be sad about circumstances that have been treated with psychiatric medications. <clears throat> I don't know any better way to make everybody distrust the medical profession than that. <clears throat> you know, if you've got the slightest bit of sense, you understand that there are circumstances in life that are not designed to be medicated. It's precisely right. It's that's something that I tell patients every single day is if the way that you feel makes sense. So like under similar circumstances would an otherwise reasonable person potentially feel that way. Well, if it's making sense like that, I'm a lot less worried about it. Sure. But if it's completely out there, which does happen, which does happen, and often it is something else going on, that's more concerning. Because if we can point to something, these life factors are going on right here, and you feel this way because of it, makes sense. But there's not a man on earth that's going to fix that. It's not. No. And I think, I think a big part of depression really is that I think that a big point of it you know, not like a conscious point, but just why it exists at all is because if you go back to, let's say, hunter gatherer days, any, any period where there's, you know, relative lawlessness, I suppose, you know, not really much of a society other than maybe a small tribe or village. If no, you like, fall into like that Los state, Angeles. Uh, you know, you know, downtown right. Portland, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Any of these places, let's say you're just some guy and there's someone else in the group that's causing all this trouble, right? Maybe pushing you around. I hate to say it, but you could just kind of, you could go deal with them. You that depression is there to motivate you to go handle the situation, right? whatever it is. And in those cases, yes, that's a little dark. But if you're in those situations today, you can't really do that, can you, right? You end up in jail, psych hospital, or worse, right? So there are a lot of situations similar to that. The point is people feel helpless today. Financial issues, right? The IRS and that whole snafu that's going mm. on these days. Oh, yeah. So people don't feel in control of their own lives. And I think that's a major part. So then they still get the depressed feeling, but what can they do about it? Well, and, right? you know, and we're going to talk about that in, in, in some, at some length later on in this discussion because I think that's a terribly important part of this big giant equation we're looking at. Uh, chemical imbalance theory of depression is interesting to me because that implies that we know how to balance the chemistry. When the fact of the matter is we don't actually know what the chemistry is. Anytime you are looking at a multivariate system, 
uh, like really any physiological system, anytime you're looking at a multivariate system, there are always going to be variables in that system that you don't even know are there. You're not even aware of all of the variables. And this is what's wrong with this idiotic political approach to climate change. All right. We don't know the very, we don't have any idea all of the variables. We don't understand the effect of the sun well enough. We've got 52 miles of atmosphere on a planet that is 12,000 miles in diameter, and we are attributing uh, climate Spinning change, which has always taken place. Climate change is the only thing that's always taken place on the surface of the earth with respect to the atmosphere. We're attributing it to human activity, and we haven't got the slightest idea what the fuck we're talking about. But that's not really the point of climate change. The point of climate change is control. The point of climate change, the whole thing is control. And it occurs to me that it could very well be that the people who want control are happy with you having low testosterone. Now, let's just let that sit there a little while, all right? And come back to that later. But let's go back to the idea that we can control the balance, whatever the hell that may mean, of, of the brain chemistry, whatever the hell that may mean, by administering psychotropic, uh, or psychoactive, rather, by administering psychoactive medications, like SSRIs. And uh, what was the other one you mentioned, an SSNI? SNRI. Yeah. So that, yeah, so SSRI, so that's like Prozac, Lexapro, Zoloft, those types. Most people have heard of those. SNRIs, which also affect norepinephrine, which is like an energizing a, neurotransmitter. Norepinephrine right? reuptake yep. inhibitor. Okay. Yeah, so the, yeah, so that would be Effexor, Pristique, Cymbalta. Those are probably the big ones that people mm-hmm. may have heard of. How many doses of SSRIs do you think have been written since the inception of the use of this medication i couldn't even begin to count what's in the bill it's it's got it it's it's i'd imagine i'd imagine you know especially for counting refills and everything yeah dose changes and all of that it's got to be yeah billions for sure what is the average length of time a person stays on an ssri well, that's actually <laughs> that's actually an interesting point. So, if we went back to the overall mainline theory and guidelines on SSRIs, it is that someone has depression slash anxiety, usually both to some degree. Put them on something like Prozac. We'll just keep using that as an example. If we see improvement, right, we can adjust the dose up, down, whatever it takes. But the idea is for a, quote, first episode of depression, so first time seeking care, to try and keep that person on it for, I believe it's six to nine months for the first time. And then to try tapering them off after that, because what the concept is, you were mentioning about um, adaptation, right? Regardless of what Mm -hmm. the stimuli is that the body experiences. Whatever the stress is, there's an adaptation to it. Yeah, yeah. So in this case, the whole idea is to be trying to get the body to adapt 
to a new baseline of these neurotransmitters and then to slowly pull it away and see if it sticks. So that's something to be keeping in mind. Well, but, but how does it, the administration of an SSRI permanently alter the, the, the pharmacokinetic environment in which that SSRI is administered once it's withdrawn? Right. How does that, how does that happen? You give the guy, you put him on Prozac, you keep him there for six months and you say, well, now we're going to, we're going to try to, you know, we're going to start by reducing this dose by 25% over the next two weeks. And then we're going to take it down 50% over the next two weeks. And then we're going to see what you're doing. Well, if you remove the drug, then the level of serotonin that is now not being inhibited by being by its reuptake is going to do what? Typically go down, go back to where it was, revert to baseline. And then where are we? What have you, has your body learned anything from that six month period of inhibition of the reuptake of serotonin? Some, some would say that it can, uh, but I think a reason why people in the industry would say that it has that ability and that that is a result is simply because we were talking about how depression being typically triggered almost always, almost always. Like even people who tell me that there isn't a trigger, we end up finding one for where those feelings are coming from. Some sort of life circumstance. Maybe it's medical, maybe it's work, maybe it's family life, whatever the case. If you go over six to nine months, maybe out to a year, what are the odds that that probably got better just by itself? What are the odds that whatever that external stressor was stayed exactly yeah. the same? Yeah. The, the yeah. odds are, you know, very low, very low. I know you married a bitch. Okay. <laughs> it happens. You married a bitch and she's still a bitch. We understand that. But the answer to a situation like that cannot be an SSRI. It must be either a divorce or murder. One of the two. I mean, it'd be better to just do the divorce though, right? You know, it's a lot, but you, the, the circumstances that are causing the stress have to change. Absolutely. Right. That's and the biggest thing. they usually thing. do, don't they? Biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, outside of maybe terminal illness or something like that, there are a few circumstances where it doesn't. And that's why even if even if these medications, let's say we for some reason had a way that we could prove that these medications are helpful, remove placebo effect, all those other things, maybe they do have some utility in these circumstances short term. They might. They might. That's possible. But I also find it interesting that when you're asking about how long people typically stay on these is the other answer outside of that, you know, six to nine months for first time is uh, very shortly, not very long at all, because there are three major reasons why I found that people stop taking these drugs, especially SSRIs, SNRIs, so regular well, They stop taking them themselves of their own volition. You yeah. Know. Well, in my experience, there are three big reasons why people will stop taking any of these SSRIs, SNRIs, more typical antidepressants. 
The first one, and this is in no particular order, would be weight gain. So getting fat, putting on the pounds. Some of these are more notorious than others. Anything that affects serotonin, generally speaking, has some risk of this. Some people don't have any. Some people have a lot. Uh, Prozac and Lexapro and Zoloft, not so much of a risk, not too bad. Some people do have issues, but others like SNRIs, um, effects are good example. Much worse, very notorious. Can't tell you how many people are put on that by a PCP come to me and say, wow, I feel miserable. I've gained all this weight. I say, well, you know, wouldn't you feel even more out of control in your life? <laughs> If you can't even control your weight in those situations yeah, or it not. adds a problem. That's just not, you know. It's outrageous. That's, that's not a reasonable that's outrageous. not a reasonable thing for well, and we'll talk more about this later, but it's 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 not a reasonable thing for a primary care physician to do. I don't prescribe think so. a, a a psychiatric medication that's ridiculous. I know I know uh, of a a doctor here in Wichita Falls that has that regularly, in fact, puts people on uh, uh, SSRIs on the basis of a forty-five second consultation in the treatment room. Yes, That's sir? probably the uh, PHQ two, which is the abbreviated version that primary care uses. It's like a two-question survey that's usually what a lot of primary care does yeah it, i mean if uh, they want to speak if they want something a little more accurate they do the full nine but we're talking like does it take someone 10 seconds to fill out or 45 seconds it's right. really i don't really see a point to why they do it that way yeah well, like, but they, it's, it's unfortunate they're more interested in seeing how many people they can treat that day and bill than they are mm -hmm. in actually practicing medicine because they're not mm -hmm. doctors they're businessmen a lot of them, or, or they are uh, subject to the will of that businessman, mm -hmm. right? So again, like the bigger practices, the bigger operations, they're going to have more of that push on their providers to be doing a turn and burn thing, right? Right. Whereas if you can spend as long as you need with somebody, you can, you know, that this person's coming in with this complaint of depression, anxiety. Yeah, you probably don't want that. What is it, like six minute? appointment that primary care typically tries to figure out mm -hmm. probably not so useful no. but uh yeah the the other two big yeah, ones the other two very we're talking about yeah the, the reasons why you take yourself off of these medications <clears throat> yeah so another one and this is more of a problem in men uh, from my experience but still does happen in women is some sort of adverse sexual effect side effect something like that for men and women that could be libido crash of some form you know and if they're in a relationship obviously a problem right mm. but then also for men in particular of course is some form of ed erectile issues huge mm -hmm. of course that's going to mess with a man's psyche well, right if that's an issue of course it makes yeah, perfect I, sense look, this is the fourth time i've embarrassed myself <laughs> i'm depressed now let me get an SSRI, another one, <laughs> or maybe a third one, because that'll help, won't it? Well, no, what happened was you caused a problem with the first one. Mm -hmm. and, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, because it's, it's well known. Like, this is, this is not, like, just 
quote anecdotal. I know on the show you guys make fun of the term anecdotal and how a lot of people want to discredit it, but that's what a practice is. Yeah. It's the accumulation of anecdotes, and that's how you well, get of data. It is. Yeah. And anybody that says, you know, that's a, that's a very good point. Just as a general observation, if you run into one of these idiots that says, well, a million anecdotes is still not data. That's. I don't. I don't what do you do you with a guy like that? How do you how do you even have a conversation with somebody like that? You know, you, you get a great trend line with that on a scatter plot. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, one million, an n of one million, right? They don't want to consider any one of those things part of the n, which is mm-hmm. stupid, which is absolutely stupid. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that's another topic for another day. We, we need to do a philosophy of science show. Nick, write that down. All right. Philosophy of science. All right. That's what we're going to do. And the third reason, the third reason, uh, now I will preface this by saying not if depression and anxiety are sufficiently bad, like you are on the ledge, so to speak, this one's not always as bad. But if you got regular, let's say, I hate to say run of the mill, but just more of what we would expect to be depression, anxiety, this would be some sort of mood flattening, affect flattening, that Prozac stare, as some people have said, right? (laughs) Just kind of being zoned out, not really, you know, you don't feel good, but you don't really feel bad anymore. Something happens, maybe you just don't care. Yeah. You know, so that that messes with people. If if you got someone who's living alone. term, right? Yeah, 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 an, an apathetic feeling, absolutely. And in in those cases, if you got someone who's just living alone and just trying to like pull out of a dive, maybe that's not horrible, maybe not so bad. But if that person interacts with others, you know, has a very has a more interactive job, lives with a family, right? Has boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah, that becomes pretty obvious, and it's that's usually a, others hand- in that person's life who are bringing that up. It's a person, handicap, isn't it? I yeah. mean, if you can't mm-hmm. interact at at a, uh, a useful level, mm-hmm. you know, your people are going to lose patience with your ass here pretty quick. No, absolutely, you know, absolutely. People will lose yeah. patience with you, and uh, and that'll also further, you know, produce a disaffected situation. You 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 know, I mean, we're all kind of tied to our emotional interactions with other people, and if you uh, damage your ability to do that then you know the downward spiral continues yeah of course of course yeah and and if we're going off of the ssris and everything here i find it very interesting where you were mentioning earlier about how we don't know what ideal brain chemistry should look like for any single person again because there's not really a way to measure it and even if we had a reference range so what Reference um, ranges are interesting, aren't they? Mm-hmm. We've talked about them on our podcast here several times. The reference range of, for example, testosterone is the average of 500 men who are uh, not of reporting uh, symptoms of hypogonadism. Right. And uh, so what? So what? You know, if you're symptomatic with a reference range with, with a with a you know ra- with a, a test level of 950 nanograms per deciliter, 
you're symptomatic. And if we take you up to 1,500, which is way above the normal reference range, and your symptoms disappear and you're better, why not? Because the number's too high? I mean, there's been an emphasis shift over the past 20 or 30 years since laboratory techniques have have improved radically to treat numbers instead of signs and symptoms. Now, signs and symptoms are interesting, aren't they? Signs are the things that you as a physician can see. Mm-hmm. Signs are the things that are obvious to an outside observer, a trained outside observer who knows what to look for. Those are the signs. The symptoms are the things that you as the patient are aware of mm-hmm. that are the that are the that are the things that caused you to go ask the other man to help you. Those are signs and symptoms. If the signs and symptoms are consistent with hypogonadism, for example, and this this applies to all kinds of other things. And treatment with testosterone relieves the signs and symptoms. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not do that? Because the number Lacking. says that you sh- that you don't need to, but the signs and symptoms say that you do. How do you make this decision as a clinician? You know, well, I think those, those situations uh, run into it all the time, all the time. Uh, whenever I have anyone go get evaluated for these things, that's typically what I hear is, oh, you know, you see some level, then you get, you know, maybe it's 300, right? Nanograms per deciliter, something like that. Oh, you know, you are normal. But there is that it comes back to a complete lack of critical thinking by providers as a whole, because you don't, most of these providers don't know that, and you've mentioned it on the show before, that and that was an average of just a bunch of people that were, you know, brought in for some study, and then that's how they established that whole range. You know, you got a high, you got a low, and then you got everything in between, but it doesn't factor in age, diet, lifestyle, all these other factors, because we know that the average person in this country is heinously unhealthy. Absolutely. Yes. So you're, what, just you're because you're going to ever, see low levels as a result, you're going to, you're going to see low levels. So it needs to not be about what, where are you following in this range? It needs to be about how the, how the man's feeling, how he's doing. Right. You need to be taking this into, in context of every person's life and i find it very interesting in medicine as a whole i'm going to call them out on this you know anyone who's doing this is the same people who are treating patients purely by the numbers purely by the book so to speak Mm -hmm. treating i think that's very dehumanizing i would say because you're treating everybody just like just like a number like you're not a person trevor these are the it's easier it is easier, isn't it's it? Easier. It is. And you can bill a lot too, right? right? right. Um, these are the same people. If you look at their advertisements, uh, wherever you go, maybe it's a billboard, maybe it's some ad in some database online, doesn't matter where. They all claim to provide excellent personalized care, <laughs> don't they? 
every single one, oh. and it's a crock of shit. It is That's what it is. Very few absolute people crock of shit. actually mean it. But also, what I think a very interesting point that needs to be brought up here is you have someone who presents with obvious symptoms of hypogonadism, low T, as frequently called, got depression anxiety weight gain all these other things sleep is garbage focus attention maybe all this is trash right just no good no good across the board they want to throw ssris at this right snris any of these drugs now did you know that those drugs have been documented there are mainline studies demonstrating the not just the adverse effect on free and total testosterone by those medications but also the increase in aromatization. So not only are you robbing to a man of estrogen. whatever testosterone is there, but you are jacking up the estrogen yeah. as well. <laughs> so if you have hypogonadism and you throw SSRIs at it, the problem's going to get worse. You know, it is. Trevor, this is just fucking amazing. I mean, the thing is just, this is such a strange situation we find ourselves mm-hmm. in here. Um, here we are given the choice of administering a hormone that occurs naturally in the human body in, in both men and women, it occurs naturally in the human body. The human body sorts out its own level if it's got enough precursor. So you administer testosterone, and when you're administering testosterone, you're just adding to what is already there and what has gotten low because of age versus administering a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which didn't even exist 40 years ago. Yep. Now, which makes the most sense in any What's situation, simple, right? especially given the fact that there are no adverse events associated with the administration of testosterone. There are none. And all of this bullshit about prostate cancer and heart disease and whatever in the hell else they say about all of this stuff is it's, it is, it is misinformation. Isn't that the modern term for bullshit? Misinformation. It's Are we allowed to use that word? Man, I I just I don't understand it. I really don't, man. It's, this is a. It's it, truly maddening. The whole situation. Really, absolutely. Is. Yep. Yeah, and just mainline psychiatry as a whole. I mean, it, the thing is, these are all smart people, right? But smart people can be really, really stupid, right? Or lazy. Well, smart people can be very wrong. Absolutely, that's they can that's be all very, that matters, very right? Wrong. Right. Um, uh, oftentimes, a reliance on our own intelligence makes us wrong when we become unwilling to step back and question our assumptions. And this is a perfect example of what these guys won't do. They won't step back and question their assumptions. They'll always say, well, there's no evidence for the administration of testosterone in the treatment of depression. And you have to say to yourself first, why is there no evidence? Why has that not been studied? And second, you'd have to ask, does the fact 
that there are no adverse effects to administering testosterone have anything to do with why you won't just try it. So let's talk about those two factors because I think these are very, very important. One, there's no evidence for the fact that testosterone administration uh, uh, helps with uh, symptoms of depression. Is that true? And, and, and what's the reason for that? I've only seen it be helpful for depression. Yeah, but that's, see, see, that's just anecdotal, man. Mm-hmm. It's just that's anecdotal. Just, that's just anecdotes. Those are your anecdotes. Your clinical experience is nothing but anecdotes because if there's not a peer-reviewed paper in a peer-reviewed journal owned by El Selvier, uh, or who's that other one that publishes all the journals? There's two, journal, two companies publish all the goddamn journals. Oh, I can't remember the name. These are big, giant businesses, right, that, that publish these papers. If there's no peer-reviewed uh, study, then uh, there's no evidence. Because the only type of evidence is a peer-reviewed study. If you, you know, are, are trying to get your bachelor's degree in, you know, biology or something. But you, you uh, this is what you're taught in undergraduate school. Uh, you're taught to be a snob. About science. That's what, <laughs> little snotty nose, 20, 20 year old kid. Well, I was just a little peer reviewed science for that. Well, you, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. All right. Peer reviewed. The fact that there is no evidence for the use of testosterone in depression, if in fact that is true, and I don't know that it is, if that is the case, it is a it is a function of the fact that the opinion of all the clinicians that would be in a position to treat with testosterone has already been affected by this conventional wisdom that there are no mm-hmm. benefits to testosterone. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a that's a serious problem. Very very well and also even if there are because I, I don't know the answer off the top of my head if there have been any articles and studies published about that but i'm sure i would bet money that someone has performed those studies and if so the what i call the academic cartel may just not have picked them up for publication right well and i wonder so maybe why sitting that in some be. dissertation somewhere does it have to do possibly with the fact that testosterone is off patent and that there's not any money in doing anything except compounding testosterone because it's because it is a generic medication at this point, testosterone cypionate, having been isolated what almost a hundred years ago. It's been a long time. Yeah, it was in the thirties. Yeah, and uh, you know, hell, it was being used by the Nazis during World War II. They were giving testosterone to the troops. In World War Two, which was not stupid, not they a stupid were thing. Amphetamine as well. Amphetamines yep. and testosterone make for a badass soldier, especially when you can't feed him correctly, and when he's not getting any sleep, and he's wounded, and he's beat up all the goddamn time. You know that's that's not a stupid thing to do, is it? You know, but we there's not any money in testosterone. You know. The past two years, 
have told, have, have taught anybody with the slightest degree of awareness about the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is this is a terrible situation that we're in. We have sacrificed the health of millions and millions of people so that we can sell this fucking vaccine, quote unquote. The numbers are clear at this point. What just happened? The numbers are clear. And those and chickens are coming home to roost. They are coming home to roost. And the fact that the money, who was it that first said follow the money? Who was that genius? See if you can find that online. I'd like to know who first had that clear presence of mind. Follow the money. Because, my God, it tells you all kinds of things. You know, the fact that somebody would rather write you an SSRI than some plain old testosterone is an interesting that's an interesting thing isn't it well and not only that but i i found that a lot of the time when patients come to me from let's say primary care having tried other medications before for some reason they get put very often on what i'd call probably the more heavy duty the more messy of medications like effexor or on the ssri side paxil I mean, mm -hmm. these are the weight gainers, sexual dysfunction. I mean, uh, even like today, Paxil is used to control hypersexuality and predators. You know? <laughs> like it is because it, it is it is a nuclear bomb on libido, you know. And yet this is handed out just like without thought by so many providers. And to me, that just sounds it's absolutely outrageous. If outrageous. you have They're the not choice even sticking between with the suicide, Prozac. if you have the choice between suicide and Paxil, Maybe Paxil makes sense, right? Maybe, but, exactly. But you had better be damned careful with that assessment, hadn't you? Because if the administration of Paxil, and it does, produces suicidal ideation, then what have you done in the attempt to treat this horrible, serious condition? Well, yeah, exactly. And and the whole reason why uh, certain medications like that are said to be causing suicidal ideation, right, or that black box warning for suicide that is on all of these medications, every single one, is because even if they even if the drug itself is effective, right? So let's say you have the mood component and you have an energy component. Let's just break it down to those two pieces. The energy component always improves first if it's going if the drug's going to be effective so you may if you have someone who's suicidal who takes one of these medications you do run the risk of patient you know because believe it or not somebody being cripplingly depressed to the point where can't really get out of bed that person's not actually in danger of anything yeah life sucks but he's not going to do he's, anything he's not you know, he, ambitious enough to commit suicide exactly exactly right. so guess what if you give that guy a little bit of energy right without benefiting, without shifting the mood in a positive direction, maybe now he feels awful and motivated. Right. And that's right. where bad things happen. Yeah. And it does happen. It's not super common, but it does. Yeah. And yeah. yet they don't want to give testosterone. But they don't want to give testosterone. 
Well, the, uh, in, in my experience, what I have come across is the only way that you can, as a human being, let's say, just any human, get testosterone on a first visit to a primary care provider in 15 minutes is if you are a teenage girl claiming to be a boy. <laughs> it's the only way. Now, it's the isn't only that way. interesting? Isn't that interesting. a hell of a note? Isn't that a hell of a note? Nope. That's where we are here, isn't it? That's that's how far down the shitter we have spiraled. And, you know. And uh, that case still comes down to fear because those providers are afraid that, oh, if I don't give this kid an, a steroid hormone mm-hmm. that cannot, that is, has irreversible effects, right? You give a woman too much testosterone, you know, any female too much testosterone, there can be irreversible effects, there, and that's only going to get there worse. There will over be time. irreversible effects unless the yeah. dose is very, 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 very low. Exactly. Exactly. But that's not considered good enough for, quote, transition purposes. And not a dig right. on the kids or anybody who thinks that that's what's going on, but right, just, oh, it know. sure is a reckless medical practice to be doing that. And I encounter that very often. Uh, and that's been like that ever because I've been a nurse since very early 2016. I've been a nurse practitioner since uh, 2019. But when I was a nurse working on like a pediatric psychiatry unit, so inpatient, we had this stuff all the time. There were times where I would get in trouble for not giving a kid steroids or hormone blockers who's like 12. Uh, you, you know, know that, and, they, that is, and they'd say, I am not involved in this. This is and someone else would pick evil. up the mantle. Is what I this is. So well. This is unspeakably evil. Does anybody know a 12 year old kid who has reliable judgment about everything, especially themselves? There is no such thing. But politics rules. That's all it is. Because the people advocating for it are the same teal haired, purple haired, pink haired, blue haired, green haired clowns yes that have social work degrees yes and think that they know what's right for the children oh right oh, fucking and these God. are uh, not to you know not to derail anything but right. those yeah, are the people know, who are supposed just, to do the red flag laws and problem. all that right God damn it. all right now let me let's here let me take a different tack before i stab myself with something all right what this is a basic question. This is a very, very basic question to this discussion. All right, and I've I've asked a couple of people this, and I want to get your I want to get your take on it. What is the opposite of depression? Now, don't just take a second here and and ponder what I'm talking about. Let's let the people listening to what I'm what I'm asking you, let's let this sink in. Let's say I am depressed. I've got something wrong with me that would cause me to go to the doctor and say, doctor, I am depressed. Can you give me something? Mm-hmm. I know people that are on things for depression. Can you give me something? Cause I am depressed. And the doctor says, what do you mean by depressed? How do you feel? So I think it's an interesting question 
that if if you are depressed and you don't want to feel depressed anymore and you want to feel the opposite of depressed, what is it that you feel? Do you feel euphoria? You're manic on the other are end. Are you manic? Are yeah. you euphoric? Does everything is everything a giant joke? Are you happy? Are you happy and delightful? I mean, way past the vague smile with the you know the thin pink sweater, but the but happy. Is that the opposite of depression, or is the opposite of depression? I'm very carefully using this word. Mm-hmm. Is the opposite of depression aggression? Mm-hmm. Now, when I say aggression. I don't mean hitting the man in the face. That's not what I mean by aggression. What I mean is the desire to move forward into action, aggression. All right. Now, now this is a, I have, tiny little bit of personal experience with this. I had something very bad happen to me when I was 23. All right. Happened to everybody, but I was kind of the focus of this thing. And I remember sitting on the couch at my parents' house with my hands folded in my lap, looking down at my feet and I remember sitting there for about an hour like that and it was it was easy because I was not participating you know it was it was kind of restful because things were so bad and it was kind of a it was it was kind of like a rest period for my little brain. And I could see drifting into this kind of a inward shell kind of a thing. And at some point I kind of snapped out of it. And said, you know, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'd rather be crying. You know, participating. Right. So I started crying. And I never went back there. But I think, I think that that might have been an exposure to what people would, what would term clinical depression so my impression from that experience was that the difference between the opposite of depression is in fact aggression and 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 you know people are going to listen to this and and ripto wants you to get in a fight stupid fuck listen to what i'm telling you that's not what i'm telling you not There's something to that. 
Yeah, no, th there's something to that, because if you just look at the word depression, right, something being in a state yeah. of being held down, down, right, or just being, you know, now, not necessarily and, suppressed, and but aggression is pushed down, is or, ex uh, you know, some level of being excited, right? Yes. Excitatory activity, anything like that, good synonym, right? Right. So that could work. And I can see that case. does testosterone do? What does well, testosterone do, among well, other things? Well, it's awfully good at boosting that. Yes, it? it is. Energy levels. Yes, it is. It's good at making things go forward, like men are supposed to do. Now, as a general observation, that might explain a lot of why testosterone works so well in these circumstances. Absolutely. Right. But it also might explain a lot of why this is being so thoroughly discouraged by, you know, society at large, you know, society at large at this point seems to be run by divorced 48-year-old women <laughs> in thin sweaters. And no kids. And no kids. Either never had kids or they're out of the house. Right. This is this is the, the you know, and they're mad. Well, of course they're mad. You'd be mad too. Right? So they're mad and they're gonna force this 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 vitriol on everybody else. And the enemy is testosterone. All right. Now you know that uh, weightlifting is being uh, the, the last year weightlifting will be in the Olympics is 2024. I actually didn't know that. Yep. That's, that's the last, the last deal. All within, you know, by 2032, you, you're not going to have the hammer, the disc, the shot, all those field events, the heavy field events will no longer be in the Olympics. I don't know if they'll leave the javelin in because the javelin's so so pointy. You know. And it can it can why well, it can hurt people. You know, and it was an it was a weapon of war and we can't have that. And uh, you know, what else is leaving? Oh the wrestling sports, they're all gone. They'll be gone. You you can't well, the more leave, you can't kick weightlifting out and leave wrestling in. You just can't do it. All right, because they both wear singlets, and they're both hairy men, and you can't have hairy men, because hairy men are the enemy, and toxic, as they say, toxic masculinity, right? And all of this shit is kind of headed in the same direction, isn't it? Absolutely. Weak men. Weak men are the are easier are people to control. Easier people to they, control. They are preferred. Those are the preferred men. <clears throat> Woke see, men who are preferred are preferred over men who are generally disagreeable and uh, more specifically assholes. All right. We have just been through a, a, an upheaval in society where 80% or so of the population has proven that they will do as they are told. 
Now, I didn't wear the mask, all right? I, you know, I, I didn't wear the mask because I'm an asshole, all right? And and this is just as an observation. I, You know, I'd grow in the grocery store, and I wouldn't. I'd maybe be the only fucking guy in the whole building without a mask on. But I didn't wear the damn thing. And everybody that looked at me without the mask, we're not wearing a mask, right? Everybody's got a mask on, looking to me, and I don't have a mask on. I look at them, and I laugh at them. <laughs> I go, <laughs> just like that, right Jokes straight in their you. face. And you know what every one of them did? They looked at the floor. Cower away, yeah. They looked at the floor. Yeah. So shameful. So shameful. Now, in World War II, I don't think men would have behaved that way. You know, I think we were different people back then. You well, know, the men who would heard, act that know, way back then would have been shamed. They would have been ashamed. They should have been. Yeah. And these guys well, were. Actively shamed. These guys were ashamed. That's why they looked down. All right. That's why they looked yeah. away from me laughing at them. Nobody slapped me. Nobody pushed me. Nobody said, fuck you, rip a toe. Nobody said anything. Everybody looked away. All right? That's shameful. They should have slapped me. You laugh at a man. That should antagonize him, shouldn't it? I mean. Should. Should. Right? You'd think it would. But every one of those guys knew he was doing a shameful thing. He was being a coward because he knew this is this all bullshit. He's just doing what he's told. He, he won't even give you the possibly, middle finger. He can't possibly that be a, be that afraid of being sick. <clears throat> God damn. So here we are in a in a kind of a broad general situation where we find ourselves. Actively being emasculated. And. Uh, in the literal sense at this point. In the literal sense at this point. So I recently talked to Dr. Anthony Jay about this, and, and he's convinced that uh, plastics, environmental plastics, water bottles, cups all this exposure to plastic some of these plastics have got the ability to shed low levels of chemicals into water that plug into estrogen receptor sites now i don't know what you think about that but you know and this is this is sounds this is one of these things that sounds like something alex jones has come up with right but I don't know, man. They're, they're, you know, if you look back, when did the bottled water craze begin? I don't remember people in airports 40 years ago carrying around a bottle, bottle of water so that they could sip from the water every five minutes. I don't remember that happening a long time ago. Can you even buy a backpack now that didn't have a water bottle thing on it? Early 2000s thing, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, that seems to... I don't know. That 
correlate with what we're observing? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I do know that society is being marshaled in a direction. And it is being marshaled in the direction of compliance. Uh, it is apparent to me that we're being herded in the direction of a gate in the fence. Now, I don't know what the hell is on the other side of that gate. I don't think it'll be any good. But I see everything kind of headed in the same direction. Now, having made that observation, let me just ask you what you think about the possibility of testosterone replacement therapy being made uh, illegal. Have you heard anything about it? I haven't heard anything about it, but it I wouldn't be surprised. It, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets targeted very soon. And uh, a big reason for that is you may have heard of those, some of those online companies uh, like for ADHD treatment, things like Cerebral are done. DEA is cracking down on them real hard. They were telemedicine exclusive. But so that got in the media. Now the DEA is looking at that. So that's a controlled substance. Those are typically uh, like Adderall, Ritalin. Those are uh, scheduled two yeah for the dea so and i mean fetamine you know, based stuff yeah yeah it's serious stuff super useful for various reasons but still it can't be handed out like candy in a 30 minute interview intake right. it, a over, much more right? serious uh, intervention it, than right right but i think because outside of testosterone i think that those medications are probably the most useful overall because that's another way to get that drive that's another way to get that energy levels up that's another way for uh depression treatment honestly it were it works great if taken let's say five days a week or something like that can really turn people around all the time so if they want people to be more controllable it makes sense that they would crack down on something like that prevents mm -hmm. people from getting ahead prevents people from getting in better shape prevents people from just right. not being distracted on the hamster wheel feeling miserable yeah. now if they're going after that one what are, they, hey, what, what are they going to do about coffee? Don't They're going to have to do something about coffee, aren't they? Well, you know, caffeine pills, maybe, right? You know, they're trying to crack down on N-acetylcysteine, you know, liver health and all that. Yeah. So that's another one they're well, focusing on. Hard to get NAC they've, now. they've already re the uh, FDA already reclassified HCG, which is used along with a lot of testosterone. Uh, therapies mm -hmm. they reclassify that so that can only be manufactured by laboratories that are ma uh, certified to manufacture biologics so like autoimmune treatments and immunosuppressants yeah, like those types of medications it makes no sense clever way to strangle the goddamn supply and it's, it's so so if i had to guess and you know i got nothing other than trends to just say Maybe that's what they're going to try to do to testosterone is make it harder, make it mm -hmm. so that not just every compounding pharmacy can compound it, mm -hmm. right? They can't just produce it willy nilly. Right. Um, so that would be the next move for them if they're trying to pull something. So I wouldn't yeah, go past. You know, let's, I, God almighty, let's not talk about that anymore. I don't want to, that, that makes me upset to, to even contemplate that. But, but man, I'll tell you. This is a this is a strange world we're in right now.
uh, a whole lot of people, a whole lot of guys, <clears throat> need some testosterone. They really do. Lots. Uh, lots the majority, of, frankly, lots of guys I would need say. some testosterone. I mean, it's you know, it's it's nothing but good for guys that are in that situation. Not every guy is in that situation, but lots and lots of. I would imagine that over the age of 50, I'd say 75, 80% of us need to be thinking about this. You'll enjoy your life more. Your day will go better. You'll be healthier. Everything, everything gets better almost immediately when you get your testosterone level back up to the level it was when you were a functional male back in your 30s, in your early 30s. And it is, uh, I mean, it positively affects every aspect of your life, and there aren't any downsides to it. There aren't any downsides. And, you know, look, doctor, if you're one of these guys that has absolute evidence that testosterone causes prostate cancer, you come on my podcast, and let's talk about that, all right? You have a forum here. Anytime you want it, you have a forum. Come tell me why we're wrong. Tell me why Trevor and I are wrong about this. Because I haven't had anybody convince me of anything other than the fact that you guys are, are just unwilling to learn something. You know? I... I, I I mean, it's just, this is, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless at times because this is so fucking stupid, you know. It's just so fucking stupid. Look, just put, look, tip, go in your drug locker, get a cc and a half, a 200 milligram testosterone, stick it in the guy's ass, and tell him to come back Friday and see what he tells you. you I mean, what 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 bad thinking? Do you think he's going to go rob a liquor store with his newfound aggression? Is that really what you think will happen? You know, I I I, I don't understand the downside of just trying. It. This has been the this is the weird ass thing. Trevor, about ivermectin over the past two years, we have we have known since this thing began that ivermectin fixes it. It fixes it. The people in Uttar Pradesh, the great big giant Indian state of 250 million people, employed ivermectin as uh, the frontline treatment for COVID-19. A long time ago, and they they eliminated it. But you have ever, you have not ever even heard that in the media, have you? You haven't heard the word Uttar Pradesh, if I'm even saying it right. Because it because this drug with no adverse effects, virtually none whatsoever was a perfect treatment for this disease but the 
but it had the profound downside of not being on patent. Well, that's why they're pushing Paxlovid, isn't it? Oh, my God. Trevor, this is such a... I mean, if you're you're not cynical, you just don't know what the fuck's going on. That's all. Well, typically, when when we have an old medication, like something like ivermectin or... uh... You know, it, it doesn't really. Uh, oh, ketamine's another good example of just medications that these things have been around forever, but we're finding new uses for them. Yes. Right? That should be a reason to celebrate. That should be a reason. Hey, we learned something. Guess what? We don't need to spend a billion dollars developing a new drug. Yeah, but then, we got something but, but, right, but Trevor. Here. A billion dollars didn't get spent. <laughs> we can't have that. <laughs> God yeah, damn! You, you're. I mean. Uh, ivermectin has anti-cancer properties. It has anti-cancer properties. It has all kinds of antiviral properties. It's it's an amazing substance. The uh, the the benefits of which have really just uh, have been completely underappreciated. But follow the money. Mm-hmm. Well. All right, fine. Look, I appreciate you being here. Appreciate your time. Of course. Uh, I think that uh, 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 we just we need to we need to, to to reevaluate the benefits of testosterone. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like ivermectin. It's something that's it's it's unfortunately inexpensive. <laughs> It's unfortunately inexpensive. You know, if I if you've been suffering from depression for five years and you're a sixty year old man and you go in to the doctor and he sticks three hundred milligrams of testosterone cipionate in your ass and three days later you're the work the there's a veil that's been lifted off of your eyes. How much is that worth? About 85 bucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the downside of that? You know, but here we are in a really strange ass situation. You know, very, very strange. We're, we here in America are in a wonderful position. At least we have the option. You know, those poor bastards of the UK, it's not option in the UK. I don't know. Socialized British public health service is just not, they're just not going to do it. They're not going to give you testosterone. You know, they're not going to try it. It's not going to be done. And, uh, yeah. so we're they might become least, colonial again, right? Right. We're in a, you and I are in a, in a country where at least it's, you know, you can, uh, you can go get some help. Uh, well, yeah. And, and, and that, that's what it comes down to is you say, you know, testosterone being just, it is. It's rather cheap. It's dirt cheap as far as medications go. Oh, yeah. You know, very, very, but the problem is, the problem just comes down to finding a provider even willing to write that prescription. Right. That's what it really comes down to. And mm-hmm. again, circling back to how it started, even if someone's willing to write it, it's probably not for enough, right? Right. Right. So that's, that's, that's the tricky part. You need testosterone. You need enough sure. testosterone to make a difference in your symptoms and you, you, don't want to start with an an underdose and 
titrate up. That's not the way to do it. Okay, you start with a high dose, and then if necessary, titrate down. Just as a practical suggestion. But what, for whatever approach you take, find a guy that knows what he's talking about here. Appreciate the psychiatric benefits. If you're having symptoms of depression, appreciate the benefits of testosterone. And for God's sakes, go get it done. Go get it treated, guys. Don't sit around with your thumb in your ass and, uh, and just wait on maybe it'll get better. It'll get better when you make it better. And that's kind of one of the downsides of low testosterone is you're not willing to do that. Just trust well, that's me. That's the trap. That's the trap. Low testosterone produces low testosterone. You know. And once you once you get that testosterone back to a better level, it's not just the testosterone that's why you're feeling better. It's that you're going to be feeling better because of the way that your life is going better. That's right. More things that you're getting done, you're not procrastinating on things. Let's say better relationship, every aspect of life with an adequate regimen is going to improve, right. right? So it's not just the drug doing it, but then that becomes its own feedback loop Absolutely. in a positive way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate this effect, please. And go get it done. Trevor Rashko has been our guest today. And, uh, Trevor is a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And, uh, we've enjoyed speaking with him about this today. And, uh, Oh, uh, you know, this is a topic that we will be discussing from time to time on this podcast because I don't think it's been dealt with enough. And uh, I've had far, far too many people contact me and say that I've listened to your podcast and I started on testosterone and everything's better than it's ever been. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, we're going to keep doing it. So we may talk to Trevor again at some point in the future, but I sure do appreciate him being with us today. Anytime. Trevor Rashko been our guest. And we will see you next time right here on the Starting Sprint Radio.